Welcome to Doctrine and Devotion, a podcast exploring Christian faith and practice from a Reformed Baptist perspective. I'm Joe Thorne, the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. And I'm Jimmy Fowler, elder candidate at Redeemer Fellowship. Fofo. Fofo with the Jojo. So, man, it's Saturday. We're in your your spacious garage. Yep. Love my garage. And uh, we got a nice little, what is this? It's not a picnic table. I guess it is, isn't it? It's like a, it's a patio. It's an old wooden patio table. This is a janky old. Yeah. Like, this is the kind of, like this, did you get this out of the garbage somewhere? Uh, yes. It yes, we did. It is pretty busted. Yeah, it's it's antique. <laughs> it's antique. We got I think it. that would imply you can get money for it. Um, You'd have to pay somebody to haul this away. Fair enough. Could yes. I could I sit on on those two boards right there at the end? The two boards that are broken? No. Yeah, okay. No, you cannot. But no. hey, it works perfect for us. We it's got our, our clamps on here. Yep. We got our microphones all set up. It's very uh, comfortable. We can smoke out here in yep. the garage. Yeah, man, this is a nice setup, and I I think we need this. I think we need this time to kind of just breathe a little bit mm-hmm. and calm down. Calm down, because I think we're both a little worked up, and we've been worked up for a couple weeks now. Yeah, um, I think what you're referring to is um, it's been on over, it's been all over Facebook, I would say, especially within uh, Southern Baptist or Reform circles. Um, people talking about the church in Alabama that had fired or let go of their pastor. Um, I don't was, think they let him go. I think they, I think they canned him. Like, let isn't, him that, isn't that let him go? No, nah, let him go is kind of gentle. They fired the dude. He was right, like, okay. like that. You, you, you employ let's, let's people. Say, you say, "Oh, we're gonna let you go." We're gonna let you. Yeah, it's like the. Okay, fine, fair enough. Ousted. Would that be the right word? I think, that, uh, yeah. I think that's probably no. Can. Well, yeah, fired can. But I'm saying ousted in the sense that he didn't want to go. No, not at all. He did not. But they wanted him to go. Why they? Why did they fire this pastor? Is he too young? Uh, no, he too is. Cal- is he too Calvinistic? No, that's not it. It's because he had the audacity to invite black kids to the church's VBS. I so want to hurt people right now. Yeah. Seriously. Like, that's the sinful response. So I want to make sure, you know, allegedly that's, that's what happened. Yeah. Now, I was looking up on SBC Voices, because they're, the, they're fantastic journalism, um, but they, they did talk about it's being, been confirmed by independent voices or independent people who know who had been part of the situation, uh, but they would not say, like, they would not give permission to use their names. So some people confirmed that yes there is racism yes. present in this church or in the leadership of this church correct the deacon specifically okay and um but they they're not going to go on the record with their name mm-hmm. for fear of repercussions or or whatever so let's back up a little bit right. um why don't you just explain in a nutshell like what what happened this 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 jonathan greer mm-hmm. is the was the pastor yeah first pastor it right yeah it's, i believe it's his first pastor he's a young guy um and so I think he'd been part of this association, this this uh, community outreach, however you want to call it, of trying to bring about reconciliation, racial reconciliation. And so he had been there with other ministers, uh, even that, that morning, and they were doing a prayer walk through the community. And it's a predominantly, I think, African-American community mm-hmm. that they're part of. And so that day, uh, I guess he, if I remember correctly, had gone around and was inviting kids 
and uh, to VBS to VBS Vacation Bible School and supposedly um, a couple deacons came to him and essentially said don't do that don't do that I think he pressed on them and you know said this is I'm like persuaded. he persuaded I'm persuaded this is the gospel right um, it's called in, in Reformed Baptist circles, we call that the warrant of faith. We indiscriminately preach the gospel and invite all to come. That's right. right. And so um, they pushed them about it. And so I guess keeping with the church bylaws, um, they said, well, we're going to take this to a vote in two weeks. So that following Sunday, he preached a sermon um, calling them to repentance. So he preached on the sin of racism. Correct. Okay. Um, and then the following week, he was unanimously... Uh, canned. Wow. I didn't know that. So every person who voted, every person who was there in that members meeting, they all voted to fire this I guy. believe it was, yes, I believe if I remember correctly, it was 31 to zero. It's a small church. <sighs> okay. So that's what happened. Yeah. And as best as we can understand. Exactly. And I think that's important for us to note is, you know, as, as, as persuaded I, as I am to believe that this is truly racism, uh, I still have to somehow try to wrap my head around that maybe maybe I'm wrong in my understanding sure, of this. Sure, right. We, 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 weren't, we, weren't, we weren't there. But, exactly. But we're also not just reading these articles because yeah. you actually took some initiative here. And I, I, like, I was driving in and, uh, and I, I called you mm-hmm. and what did you say? Oh, I said I've been uh, Facebook chatting. I don't know how you always word that, you know, Facebook messaging uh, with Jonathan. Um, well, one, I wanted to let him know that we were praying for him. Right. You know, that we love him, that we're praying for him and for his family. It is a a cruddy situation that he's in. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he's a young guy with young kids. Um, and just like that, he's let go. And so we just want to let him know that we were, we were praying for him uh, and that we were thinking of him, that you and I were, were processing mm-hmm. not just... Not just his situation, right. but just racism in general within sure. the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we talked for we talked for a bit, and actually, then we did a Facebook video message thing. And so, you were able to kind of uh, converse with him and uh, hearing his heart. His heart is is genuine. Like it was, it was a sense of of remorse mm-hmm. over the sin, right. but also very careful to say this church is unique in that. Right, it wasn't the rest of the association. Yeah, he was really. Well, first of all, let, let me just affirm what you said there. Yep. That this this guy, when when we talked to him, wasn't lashing out. Not at all. You know, Jonathan wasn't. You know, saying, uh, well, he wasn't saying some of the things I was saying. Mm-hmm. I'll put it that way. You know, yeah. he was he was uh, he was patient and humble, and he was very concerned that, especially people up north, I think, yeah, uh, don't conclude that that whole association or that whole city or that whole region is just filled with racist people and racist churches. Correct. Yeah. He was, he was very clear. This is not what I'm used to seeing in our churches over here. That's right. It's, it's, it's specifically only in, in, in Jonathan's estimation, uh, Mount Sterling Baptist church in Alabama. Okay. And so, you know, we, we if you're not a Baptist or a Southern Baptist, you might be wondering, like, so, so what happens if this is true, right? It looks yeah. like it is. If, if this happened, um, what can Baptists do? How would they appeal to this church? Um, because in Baptist life, there isn't a hierarchy of authority where, you know, uh, a, a, 
a higher council of leadership outside of a local church can tell a local church what to do or who to yeah, hire. Exactly. So what can Southern Baptists do? And there are a few things that Southern Baptists uh, can do in a situation like this. At the local associational level, that's the, the region, the smaller region within a state where Southern Baptists cooperate together, mm-hmm. and they are usually organized by a director of missions uh, who kind of leads the, the organizational efforts there. Uh, in the local association, the association itself can appeal to an, a member church yeah. to repent, or they can remove a church from membership. That's right. And at the at the state level, that's the that's the where the Southern Baptists cooperate at that state level. The same thing can happen there, and then at the national level, that can happen as well. So there is a, a form of accountability here that that can actually um, begin, but will it? Well, that's what I was going to ask you because you had a whole conversation with him. What's and you've been reading more on this. What's what's the situation? Has is is the association or the state stepping in to say something? Yeah, I mean, uh, Jonathan, I didn't have that part of the conversation with him. Okay. Um, but reading from SBC voices, um, I think the guy's name is Alan Cross. Writes uh, he talks about um, a gentleman by the name. Of are you drawing out your words to because you can't find? Well, your it place only, it's on this only showing article? his last name, Long. I don't see his first name. That's why I was trying to find who, who is Long. Long is the DOM, which is Director of Missions. Yeah, that's all. Oh, so Dom Long, just call him Dom Long. Dom Long. Dom Long. <laughs> Maybe like Don, like, like yeah, like uh, Don Juan. But this is Dom Long. Dom Long. Okay, so Dom Long <laughs> set up Greer's sermon. The, the director that, of missions. Go ahead. The director of missions. That the sermon was biblically truthful and accurate. Wait, well, whose sermon? What sermon? Jonathan Greer's sermon on that Sunday when he was calling them to oh, repentance. Okay. Um, and so, you know, he said, in terminating the church, or in terminating Greer, the church, and this is quote, made a bad decision in my opinion, and that nothing that the pastor did was worthy of dismissal. He's a young pastor in his church. As with all of us, mistakes were made when we're... Young, especially. Still, Long said, quote, Jonathan uh, stood valiantly for the truth. He would not compromise and deserves our admiration, encouragement, and praise for that. So I agree with all that. That's good. I agree with all that. But here's the the issue that I have. At the same time, uh, Mount Sterling should not be disfellowshipped from the association, Long said. And that part I have have an issue with. Mm -hmm. I have an issue with that. And... um, I think, I think, and this is my, my assumption, I think it's cowardly. I think it's cowardly. I think at the very least, there needs to be some sort of investigation. I'm not saying... Well, is there, though? It doesn't... I, I don't see anything that talks about in, uh, that there's going to be an investigation. I don't yeah. see anything that the association, that the leadership at the state level, or even, or even at the national level, is going to... Uh, Step in and take a look at this, yeah. because here's here's my thing: is that if at, at the last SBC, <laughs> yeah, they they were really big about this. They were really big about racism and and reconciliation and bringing about unity and and look, we're we're condoning or we're condemning we're condemning the uh, the Confederate flag, and yet here we have this instance of a young pastor reaching out mm-hmm. and his church. Firing him for it. Yeah, shutting him down. Uh, and you're not going to do anything. You're not, I, I shouldn't say that. I'm assuming you're not doing anything. Yeah, let's, let's I would, here's, here's what could happen. Maybe the DOM says, uh, I don't think that they should be disfellowshipped. Um, I prefer the term excommunicated, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. 
Well, then, will there be a formal and public appeal to the leadership of that church to yeah. repent openly? Um, that has to be done. I agree. There's no, they, that's the starting point. And then if they refuse to repent, then disfellowship is appropriate. So I think they should be given the opportunity, uh, just like you know, I would expect any church member to have the opportunity mm-hmm. to repent, to receive counsel. Um, I don't expect this to be immediate. I really don't. Yeah. Uh, in terms of final decisions. Exactly. I but, don't think it should be. We can't be rash or, ha- you know. Right. Yeah. Especially because, like, some of us, I don't, I, uh, racism, prejudice, spousal abuse, child abuse, yeah. there, there, are, there are a few things, you know, the injustice um, bothers me. Yeah. Bullying bothers me. And it's the kind of thing that would move me towards vengeance, even over justice, um, where I would overreach. And so I, I recognize it in myself, and I say, like, we got to be patient here. Let's be clear, mm-hmm. but let's keep moving in the right direction. So I, I have the same concerns that you have. Like, yeah. man, something needs to be done. And the national level, things are going to happen even slower uh, at the there's this just went down perhaps something will come up and if it does it'll come up at the next annual meeting i think it's in phoenix mm-hmm. and that's where a motion may be brought to disfellowship that church if Possibly. they don't repent yeah so and, that could happen and that doesn't even have to come from that could come from you mm. as a as a messenger of a southern baptist church oh, you wow. could make that motion there you go well here, here's i want to make sure I, I quote uh long here the the dom uh, when he's talking about that Mount Sterling should not be disfellowshipped from the association, he, he says this, quote, Mount Sterling Baptist Church, like every church, has people that are committed to Jesus Christ and the gospel at different levels. It is a mistake to believe that every member of this church is racist. Uh, is racist. It is a mistake to believe that this church has any kind of printed or stated policy that excludes anyone. They have a documented history of having fellowship with other races, end quote. So I just want to make sure I get, I, 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 want, I want to be fair to Mr. Long in this, uh, in, in using his words uh-huh. in this. Uh, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just asking, mm-hmm. my, my concern is, is this just going to be swept under the rug and forgotten in two months, um, and we're not going to deal with it? Well, I, I, I hope not. And, you know, the... The, the the anger in me or the or the, maybe even the pride in me yeah wants to uh, lash out or be very judgmental mm-hmm. I think we need to be just righteous clear hold hold one another accountable yeah but at the same time uh, if if this sort of a thing is not a sin that typifies my heart uh, explicitly there is still prejudice in my heart yeah um there is still pride and elitism in my heart. So I, I want to be careful here not to make myself out to be uh, above other sinners. Yeah. Because um, I, I know that I'm not. But I expect nothing from the world. Mm-hmm. I expect nothing from the world. But from the church, I do expect a lot more. Yeah. And from leadership, I expect a whole heck of a lot more. So that's where the, the tension is for me right now. And... What I thought, you know, would be good for us to, to talk about today is the, the real root problem with racism and to get some, for us to discuss what racism is, what its impact on the church is, and maybe our experience 
okay. here uh, in you know St. Charles. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a white boy, grew up here, uh, and I was one African American in my whole high school when I when I went there, uh, and very very white community. St. Charles, which is the neighboring city that our church is in, is like 96 or 94 percent white, and then Hispanic, then Asian slash Indian, then African American, yeah. I believe. So we have a very small African American. Uh, uh, percent here mm-hmm. um, in our city. So I recognize that I'm coming from uh, a, a privileged white boy's perspective. Um, but Jim, you're a little bit different, a little bit unique here mm-hmm. in that you grew up in the same area. Yeah. Yeah, I would say for me, it's it's different in the sense that um, I kind of live in this in-between, right? Like and I know you and I have discussed that. I, I feel this tension um, of not necessarily really fully belonging to a group, right? Like on the outside, you know, people ask, Oh, I get all the time. Like, what are you? What are you? That microaggression, (laughs) that microaggression of, of, you know, what, what, who, what are you? You know, like they can't really tell, you know, some people ask, you know, are you, are you Hawaiian? Are you Middle Eastern? Uh, are you Hispanic? Are you, uh, 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 like Indian, like in the sense of, uh, for like first nations type idea. Um, I'll, that's what people, people can't really peg me down. Right. right? And so I live in this tension where, and your last name is Fowler. So my last name doesn't really help. So it doesn't really help anybody. So, but my tension for me is that while I, I look Hispanic or I look like a minority, my experiences and my thoughts are very white privilege, right? Like I, I grew up in, in, um, in a middle class to upper middle class uh, surroundings, right? Like my dad worked hard all his life to get to where he's at, and I'm I reap the benefits of that. Um, and so while I while I look Hispanic or I look like a minority, uh, I don't have the same experiences as other minorities. I get it to a very small degree, but nowhere near what I think what other people face on a daily basis. Um, and so it's I was actually talking with a Hispanic church planter. Uh, Hispanic church planting director um, from Chicago, from Chicago. Yeah. And uh, cause there was a time where, where my wife and I were exploring that and we were talking about that with you. Um, and there was this sense that like, I'm, I'm a safe Hispanic. Mm-hmm. I'm a safe Hispanic for white churches. Cause I look like, I look like them. Like I look like a minority. I look like Hispanics, but I can relate with white people really well mm-hmm. because that's predominantly what, what I grew up in. Yeah, well, your, your, your dad is Anglo. Correct. And your mother? Is from Guatemala. Okay. So that's where you get this, you know, this, this chameleon-like. Chameleon-like, yeah. <laughs> you can blend in, man. There's so many different uh, I'm like, I'm nationalities. Like the, yeah, I'm like the caramel of sauces. Or ca- caramel. Caramel. No, you're, no, see, I, you're no, saying I, it wrong. You don't know. I do. It's caramel. I agree. No, this is my people's. I, is that oh, you're agreeing with me? I agree with you. Yeah. No, all you fools <laughs> out there say caramel uh, need to enunciate. It's caramel. Caramel, thanks. Good. Crayon. Crayola. Yeah, not crayon. Crayon? It's crayon. We're off topic. Okay. So let's let's talk about racism in and of itself. Um, Mm -hmm. Because racism is, for a lot of people, this really big uh, nondescript idea. Yeah. And it can mean a lot of different things to different people. In one sense, racism is the belief that one race is genuinely superior to others. Yeah. And that... 
other races, therefore nationalities, ethnicities, which is probably a better term, uh, are inferior. And most of the African-Americans that I've spoken with uh, have said that uh, an intrinsic part of racism, as, as we've come to understand it, is not only the belief that your race is superior to another, but that your race also holds the power in a given community or in a given state, in a given country. That racism is the oppression of another people group from another people group's uh, position of authority. Okay. So, like some people would say, like, well, that, that black guy's being racist to me because, you know, he called me a honky uh, or a cracker. Mm -hmm. uh, does that ever hurt a white guy? I don't think so. No, we don't care. No. It's, it, 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 there is no shame or harm to us in that. Mm -hmm. um, but it does not go that way if you turn those tables. And this, because there's been this history of oppression and, uh, and violence yeah. uh, against uh, African-American brothers and sisters. So um, racism, What's, what are we really dealing with here on a spiritual, biblical, theological level? Like what, what comes to your mind, Jimmy, when you think about this issue? If, it's, if it is, um, and we're, listen, what do I know? I do more listening when we talk about this yeah. stuff than talking generally. But if we're talking about the oppression of a people from a position of authority or power, what's really happening spiritually, biblically, theologically? I think uh, the sense of domineering, right? The sense of, of uh, one is superior and the other is inferior. And I think ultimately you're saying that the image of God that's imprinted upon that brother and sister is less significant than the image of God on you. Right. And I think that is, is horrific. That is absolutely horrific to think of. Um, that somebody else that, that somebody else is, is less loved or less, I don't know how else to word it. Like, well, think about it this way. The image of God, mm -hmm. is that something that animals have? No, it, it, it is unique to humanity. Mm -hmm. So whether we clearly articulate it or not, racism shows us that we do not believe the image of God is in another person. When we hate right. a brother or sister, regardless of race, what we are, we are no longer seeing the image of God in them. That's right. Which makes them an animal less than human. Yes. Yeah. That's what it is. So this is a very theological, biblical, spiritual issue. Mm -hmm. It's not just a political issue. Uh, it's a moral issue, but it even goes deeper than that. This has to do with how we understand God and humanity. So it's doctrinal. Mm -hmm. So this, if, if the image of God is one part of it, right? Recognize, because this is what I found, that um, you know, over, the, over the years, my struggle with lust and pornography, because it's just so ubiquitous it's just everywhere you go you can't get away from it yeah whether it's in a commercial or a video or the the stuff on the internet and magazines uh one of the things that really helped me was to preach to myself that those women are people made in the image of god yeah not to be used and abused right yeah I, I, so if someone is made in the image of god what should be our response to them our response should be uh, overwhelming love and appreciation for them that we should be honoring them. We should be, we should be seeking, uh, their good, 
I'm going to leave, I'm going to use that. I'm going to say that we should be seeking their good. And ultimately I think that good is seeing Christ manifested even more, uh, in their lives. Um, but I also think celebrating, celebrating the uniqueness mm. of who they are. Cause I think, I think, yeah, there's that sense of racism. Uh, we, you know, we think of the KKK or something like that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what I think, I think there's another form of, I think there's a more subtle racism, uh, within the church today. And, I'm going to say that's assimilation, right? Where, yeah, you can come, please come to our church, but be like us, worship like us, talk like us, do what we do, you know? And we, we neglect celebrating, uh, the racial diversity or just the uniqueness that, um, that how God has created them. You know, one of the things I I really struggled with years ago, uh, I had spent some time in Kampala, Uganda at a church there. And, um, that worship was fantastic. Hmm. It's not me. It's not like it, it was very lively. It was very, right. you know, people were dancing, people were, were shouting. Everyone was, you know, it was very animated and it, it, it was very, uh, ethnocentric. I, I mean, it was, it was who they were as a culture and as a people. And it was in their own language. It was in the Lugandan language. And I, I was, it was a struggle for me to follow along, but still, this is where I was at. And I, um, was able to, to embrace the uniqueness of who they were. Um, well, a brother showed up that has, uh, I'm not going to say his name because um, he had toured with some bands and he was, he was known as a worship leader. Um, and so he came in and kind of was trying to change the way they were doing it. You know, oh, mm. it's not polished enough. It's not, right. they didn't practice enough. Uh, and so the worship went from, from their own language into English. And instead of singing some of the, the beautiful songs that they have, it became like listening to Hillsong. Ew. You know, I know. But like it came, it <laughs> came into that, like, yeah, it, came, right. it became those kind of, that kind of music and everything changed. Mm-hmm. You could, you could, you could sense it. You can sense it. Uh, there was no, like there was no passion anymore. People and, just stood there and sang. And how is it not, somehow connected to racism, not overtly, right? Mm-hmm. Not that this guy's thinking this way, but why do we have to change the songs to Hillsong? Because I think as white missionaries, we have this idea that the Western church is right yeah. and you are barbaric. Yeah. yeah. And that we must, we must now uh, educate you. Civilize. Civilize you. So gross. Uh, so that you will now worship God in the right way. It's almost like, King James only, you know, like it's that kind of mentality right. of this is the only way to do it. And mm-hmm. you must do it this way. Anything outside of this is wrong. Right. You know, and the people, like I said, it's subtle. People won't say that. No. And if you, if you were to ask them what they, what they think, they, their mind doesn't even connect the dots, No, but it's in there. And it, this sort of a thing is in all of us, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what we're talking about here is recognizing the image of God in people and recognizing the, the great commandment. Right, the great commandment to uh, to love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, um, that is an act of self denial, yeah. where we seek another's good, like you were saying. And if we find it hard to do that to people who look like us, and speak like us, and live like us, like us, it's going to be even harder for us to do that with people that we consider to be different or outsiders. Man. Um, one of the one of the great things that I read by Calvin 
was on this issue of self-denial and love to neighbor. Mm. And this relates to, um, to this issue of racism and just beyond that, right, to how we relate to other people in the community where there is difference. Calvin says this, The Lord enjoins us to do good to all without exception. And he says that the scripture subjoins a most excellent reason when it tells us that we are not to look at what men in themselves deserve, mm-hmm. but to attend to the image of God which exists in all and to which we owe all honor and love. He says, Whosoever be the man that is presented to you as needing your assistance, you have no ground for declining to give it to him. Mm. He says uh, later on, if he not only merits no good, right? If he, if he doesn't deserve good from you, if he not only merits no good, but has provoked you by injury and mischief, still, this is no good reason why you should not embrace him in love and visit him with offices of love. Amen. That's John freaking Calvin, man. Everybody thinks of him as this hard case, as this stoic guy, but what he's telling us is that Christians are supposed to be characterized by this kind of love that emanates from the love of God that we have experienced and is directed towards others, not because it's what they deserve, but because they're made in the image of God. So devotionally then, you know, looking at, at the heart of this then, that when, when we are not uh, seeing the image of God and reaching out and loving and embracing that in our neighbors, whether they are of the same ethnicity or not, it's a reflection then of our lack of understanding of the gospel mm-hmm. for what God has done for us. We'll explain that. Well, I guess I'm thinking, uh, based on what you're saying there from Calvin, is it's, it's an outflow of what the gospel has done for us, right? And, and, and for who? For whom? Like, for whom did Jesus die? For all the elect. Right. Like from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Revelation 5. Yeah. He purchased for himself a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's right. That's right. But I I also think of like Jesus' words, uh, he who has been forgiven much loves much. Yeah. Right? And that's where I'm trying to get get to it is that if we can't, if we don't love and embrace our neighbor, then we haven't truly loved and embraced the gospel. Because at some level, we think that we are superior and sinless and that we did not need the grace of God for our salvation. Yeah. Yeah. Or if we don't see ourselves as sinless, we see ourselves as sinning less yeah. than yeah. those around yep. us. And yep. so we still have this, this hierarchy in our mind and in our hearts. Oh, so I think I, I want to kind of touch back then. What is, that, what, is, what is then true diversity or true reconciliation look like in the church? Like I, I, I struggle and maybe this is, I'm going to go down a road that people are going to be upset with. I struggle when a predominantly white church hires an African-American pastor for the sole purpose of maybe now more African-Americans will come. Mm. I struggle with that. I struggle with it because if people are not already coming, what you're really trying to do is you're trying to find someone that's going to fit into our system that, yeah, that they're going to fit into our system, and then people are going to come. I don't know if you're, I don't know if you're yeah, drawing I, that. I understand you, what but, I'm saying with that. But like, let's think about context. Let's say that uh, you have a, a, an Anglo church. It's an all-white church, mm-hmm. but it's in a neighborhood that is predominantly black. Now, 
you're well, not. Then I would let go of that pastor and get a black pastor. Okay, so it, so it sort of depends. So in that case, you're saying, well, we're going to hire uh, an African American guy uh, to come on staff, whether you get rid of the other guy or not. Like, mm-hmm. who, who knows what the situation is? But you're going to bring on an African American pastor, not just to reach African Americans, but to um, but that's a part of it. To ha- to have a to have a better understanding of of the people, so you want somebody who is qualified, who meets the qualifications. Yeah. In Timothy, you want you want a person who is who is gifted and called by the local church, um, and we have to we have to factor in a lot of things when we're hiring somebody. You, you wind up factoring in age and experience and all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if a person's white, you got to consider that. And if a person is black, you got to consider that. Well, and I, but the thing is, I, I would be saying again, and this is even now I'm thinking through the lens of how Redeemer does it. When they look at an elder, we have lots of qualified men in our church. But the reason why uh, the elders had asked me to go through this elder candidacy was because I had a specific set of, of giftings that would complement the church, that would complement the leadership. Complement the weaknesses complement the some weaknesses. of the other elders. Yeah. Exactly. So are, are you doing that there when you're just hiring a, a minority? Yeah, you can't. You, I don't Do think, you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. if, there's no, if there is no uh, African Americans coming to church, well, I, I, I guess that's what I'm saying. If there is people there and you're feeling like, you know what, we, we need to better minister to our people. That's different. Well, That's well, different uh, than hiring a Pied Piper that you feel is going to draw people in, but then when they leave, those people are leaving too. Because well, really I don't, I don't think you, it's either you or. You them to a, uh, an individual. I don't think it's either or because I, I think that if I'm – like St. Charles is 94% white. We're not going to have a ton of black people mm-hmm. at Redeemer. Um, we have a couple. <laughs> we have a few uh, African-Americans. Correct. And so uh, now if – if something happened to me, one of our other guys would more than likely become the preaching pastor at Redeemer. Mm-hmm. We like to do that from within. But if you're in a city that has transitioned and it, you have this old church that has remained white uh, and it is not reaching anybody in the community that mm-hmm. is African-American, though they make up the bulk of that you know, uh, population, I don't see anything wrong with saying we're going to look for a qualified guy to be our pastor and we want an African-American so that this church can better reach because with a white pastor at the hilt, it might be more difficult to penetrate. I don't, I don't, I don't think that that's wrong. And I would agree with you there. So we're saying though, if, if that the context of it, right, the, the, yeah, the, where absolutely. the church is at is right. what is going to, to dominate that discussion. Right. Um, it's not just bringing in someone to say, Oh, look, we've got cultural diversity. Yeah. No, you know, but I, I also though really want to hit this. And I thought, uh, uh, Leon's, Leon's Crump from Renovation Church in Atlanta, I think he talks about this really well, uh, transcultural, being transcultural rather than multi-ethnic. And so the way he puts it is that there's, there's unity in diversity and that them, they, their church is that of a tapestry, right? So there's, it's made up of all these individual parts and that the whole is more beautiful than the individual parts. And so I think that's a beautiful expression of what true unity and diversity is. My problem, not with them, but I think I feel like I've witnessed the opposite of that, is we are unified. Our, we are unified if, as long as you agree with how I'm doing it. It's like when people talk about uh, right now with the Pope and this kind of reconciliation or this, this discussion of being unified. I don't think people understand what the Pope means by that in, in, a, lot, in a large way for, 
for Catholic thing, I grew up Catholic, uh, is we're unified when you start believing that I'm right. When you start understanding that this is the way it's supposed to be. And I think that we do that in churches as well is, yeah, I want racial diversity. I want blacks. I want, I want Hispanics. I want these people to come in, but I want you to conform. And I think that's, that to me is a subtle racism um, that's often overlooked in our churches. And it's one I, I feel like I've felt uh, in churches I've been in, especially when I was up in Canada, uh, because, again, people saw me as First Nations, mm-hmm. you know, and First Nations saw me as First Nations. And I would meet with these tribal leaders and talk about this, this kind of stuff with them, how they felt like they couldn't go into a church because they, weren't, they didn't feel accepted. Mm-hmm. People always say, come, 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 but come and look like us. Come and talk like us. Come yeah. and be like us. Well, let, let me let me ask for some clarification here mm-hmm. for this, as I'm thinking through this. On one hand, our unity is ultimately found not in our diversity, but in the gospel, yes. in, in theological truth. That's where Piper's our, got a book about that, doesn't he? What, honestly, doesn't he? He's got like a, Let the Nations Be Glad on Mission. No, like no, 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 no. There's a new one. I don't remember. Years ago. Bloodline. Well, is, it new, is it a new one or is it years ago? Years Which ago. Which one is it? Sorry, it's newer than Let the Nations Be Glad. Okay, yeah. But bloodlines, I think it's like yeah. Bloodlines or something like that where I, it I all traces. That. Okay, well, it all tra- traces back to the blood of Christ. Yeah. That's I, what I watched, unifies I watched the, the book trailer. It was pretty good. Really? That's all you did? It was, it was pretty like, good. I liked so, it. It was so good, you're like, eh, I don't need the book. Yeah. I'm white. <laughs> it was. I want you to know that book was for you. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I need to read it. Look, um, so, first of all, I think our unity is found in God, yeah. in, in, in Jesus Christ. And there is unity in diversity when we are gathered around a confessional identity. We need to have a confessional identity first. I think that comes first. Then, as we're talking about what our church looks like and how our church feels, that is largely going to be, at least it, I think it should be largely determined once you get past the scriptural absolutes. Yeah. That should largely be determined by your community and context. It should it should reflect the uh, as much as you know is I think possible the community that you're in. So, you know we're not we're not going to have a black gospel choir at Redeemer. Yeah, as much as those are amazing and I, right. I, they're really beautiful. Awesome. They're absolutely it's 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 oh so I wish we would. It would be it would be fun, but and it's not that we're like opposed to it as much as that's not the community that we're in. It's not the that's right. kind of a church that we are. Exactly. Um, so I, I do think that we need to be sensitive to the community as a whole, and the leadership at Redeemer has worked really hard to cultivate yeah. a culture, a worship culture, a church culture that is first biblical and then culturally appropriate for the the setting that we find ourselves in. So I don't, I don't think that that but at the same time, uh, I'm wondering to say about that, like, well, the reality that every church does have a from kind of culture, an Asian and country, and they're a Christian, feel. and they're like, well, this is not what I'm used to. Like or are we supposed to adopt to some of the practices right. that, and I don't know that, that they wrong. are familiar no, with and comfortable with from their context? Yeah, to be honest, I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, I feel like saying no to that, right? Like, I feel like saying, I, I, I don't think that's right. Because then I think then you're doing the reverse. You're doing the opposite and saying you're not, you're no longer, I guess, celebrating uh, Anglo. And you know, and I know that sounds weird to say because we celebrate Anglo every day. You know, like we get to celebrate this uh, all the time. 
but I guess if, if people are not, if they don't feel comfortable, there's, there's, I understand that to a degree. I understand that, um, they want to go to a place that in your example, there are other Asians worshiping, uh, in such a way that they are accustomed to. And I think that's okay. I don't think that's wrong to, to feel that way. You want to feel at home. You right. want to, you want to feel at a place that celebrates, um, celebrates how God has made you. And, and yeah, I think, cause like, I don't have, I just don't have the answers for this. I, 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 I feel like I have a decent grasp on how we are supposed to handle things in mm-hmm. St. Charles. Yeah. But beyond that, I'm, I'm, Boy, I really want to do a lot of listening. Well, I, and you know, I, I don't think it's cookie cutter, though, Joe. I don't think it, I don't. I just I don't think it's what's working here is working is going to work everywhere else. Because look at right. like think of again uh, renovation church in Atlanta. You know they were right. sharing. Uh, Leon's Pastor Leon's was was sharing about how their worship is very different, and it it, it they were very intentional. It goes from you know, gospel to hip hop to Hillsong to whatever right. else. And they were very intentional in, in celebrating how they do it. But again, that's Atlanta. Right. That's an urban, that's an urban city. That, that's a, uh, there's a lot of different people groups that are, that are living in such a, sh- a small mm-hmm. area that that makes better sense. Yeah, it's, For it's, us, it's, it's mainly Anglo. Right. And I think we have to, regardless of the setting, we have to be warm, welcoming, and inviting to exactly. everyone who, to be intentionally uh, inclusive of people mm-hmm. uh, and to embrace them and to welcome them. One of the things that, you know, I'm always encouraged by the response that we get from first-time visitors to Redeemer. They, uh, you know, we're a small church in a janky old building. It's Noth- dirty. Nothing cool about it. It's just, it's really... <laughs> Whatever uh, we praise God for, thank you, Lord, for thank our building. You. Yeah, thank well, you. You 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 have uh, allowed us to and be there. And if you see fit to burn it down for insurance purposes, we praise you. We, 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 you know what? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Mm, amen. And maybe he gives something better. I got some uh, gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the things you know that happened a little while ago was uh, one of our preachers. He's a preacher for us now. Uh, we're training him to be a pastor. Uh, his name is Travel Rounds. Travel um, Rounds. Travel Rounds. Uh, he's a young African-American guy, uh, grew up in black Pentecostal church, uh, following Jesus uh, for many, many years, been preaching since he was a little kid, right, in the Pentecostal churches. Yeah. do that. Um, and as he began to uh, find and to learn more about Reformed theology, he, he came to the conviction that he needed to be a part of a church that shared that. So he, he looked around and he said, all right, I'm going to try Redeemer. And this is what he told me. He said, you know, on my way down that Sunday, I thought, I'm going to a white church. And he told me that he expected to feel uncomfortable and that he even wanted to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. But he told me that when he got there, he was just overwhelmed with how warm everybody is and how welcome he felt. And he loved it immediately. And, you know, he's, you know, he's a, he's a friend of ours uh he's a member he is mm-hmm. a a preacher and you know we're we're blessed to have him n- not because he's african-american but because he's just such a solid brother yeah um the fact that he is african-american is good for us as white people who don't have a ton or don't have very many have many have probably no african-american friends mm-hmm. so you know there's there's a lot of good that comes from that so i think that's an example in this context where this is a guy that grew up in a completely different church context that's right uh culturally different 
and is as himself experienced things wildly differently than you or I have in terms of his interactions with the police. Yeah, absolutely. But he feels at home at our church. So I, I think that there's there's a lot of of room here to figure out the best way to do it. And like you were saying, and Leonce is saying that culture has a big impact on how you strategically set up, we'll just call it the flavor mm-hmm. of your church. A lot of guys, especially in the Reformed community, they're so intense and serious about getting things biblical and getting things right, but they put very little attention to, they pay very little attention to how we are going to create the culture of this church beyond no. the biblical absolutes. That's right. So they just assume that it's it should be what they know instead of well maybe some of this needs to change because of the city that we're in. Exactly. Like if we, you know, we've talked before about the possibility of planting a church or a campus uh for Redeemer in a place like Elgin or a place like Aurora and that's going to look drastically different. That's going to look different than Redeemer St. Charles. Right. Right? And it's it's going to be, you know, I think the the same the same culture of being biblically centered, being uh, uh, gospel centered, being Christ centered is there. That mm-hmm. that's a non negotiable, right? And we're even going to have the same confessional identity, exactly. But it's going to be expressed yeah. and made up in different ways, yeah. right? Where because both of those communities are uh, increasingly becoming more Hispanic, more African American. Um, and it's just, it's going to be different. It's going to be a lot different than like Pastor Tom's church in Naperville, which right. is predominantly affluent, uh, white, yeah. uh, white people. And that's, that's going to be very different. Um, which is very different from Pastor Jamie's church in DeKalb, right? right? Like, which is, uh, working class uh, yeah. white people. Yeah. Right? I mean, we've got, so we've sent out three church planters mm-hmm. that we've supported and trained up from Redeemer. Jamie Page, pastor of the church in DeKalb, that's the name, uh, very blue-collar, uh, really micropolitan is the word coined by Al Shee uh, when he wrote a book and talked about DeKalb. Um, then we've got Seth Williams in Evanston, north of Chicago. Great church. University city, uh, university town, Northwestern is there, lots of education, uh, lots of money, very transient, very different people mm-hmm. there for a short period of time. And then we've got Tom in Naperville. And so, you know, these are guys that we didn't send them to those particular cities because we thought that's where churches need to be. We really worked with them to see how God had wired them and where their burden was. That's right. And then we encouraged them to go. Mm-hmm. And that's where they've each landed. And we've got other people that are going to be going to different places in the next several years based on the calling of God and, and how they've been wired. We don't have a plan to hit certain cities as much as we are praying and thinking strategically about um, where God is is leading these young men who are called to plant. That's right. So now, shifting gears, what about those churches that don't want to deal with this issue, where they kind of want to, um, maybe issue's not the right word, well, I think maybe it is, um, where they don't want to, they don't feel the need to uh, discuss racism, or they don't feel the need to discuss uh diversity or unity or any of that they feel we're doing a good job we're fine ain't no one racist here Mm. what do you feel like is there is there is there a place for discussion well of course i think you know that that's a uniquely white man's 
privilege mm-hmm. to not have to think about race. That's right. To not have to. And that's a privilege you and I have. I like, right. right. I mean, like, yeah. we don't, I don't, I don't get hassled. No. You know, in the same way. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's a unique. Uh, well, you get hassled by, like, elves. I get well, yeah, the elves always think that they're better than the dwarves. But it, you, you, ah, you knew where I was going. Fist, That's awesome. You, you, you throw down your, <laughs> your little fairy bow, and uh, I'll drop my axe, and we'll see what happens. And you'll, you'll see the dwarf uh, kick the butt of the elf every time. I don't think he can get his legs up. I've seen you try to kick your leg up. You can't no, no, kicking. Oh, no, no. Me- kick butt is a metaphor, dude. Oh. Metaphor. No. But go ahead. Um, I don't even know what I was saying. What was I saying? See what you do? I, I know. See what, you, see what you do? I derailed it. Uh, so, yeah, I was saying that, um, well, I don't even remember what I was saying. You don't remember? You, you, what, what did you ask me? I asked you, is there not a place for discussion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you said. Yeah, so, I mean, look, if you don't believe that white people have a privilege mm-hmm. or an advantage living in America over African Americans or blacks, then... Um, uh, you're not thinking very clearly. I don't think you understand. And the fact that you don't even see it, I think that's a mark of white privilege in and of I think, itself. I think it's just ignorance, right? And I'm not Certainly. trying to say that in a in a critical way of saying, like, you're you're dumb. No, but they I, don't know. It's what just don't means. They, they don't. They don't, no, they don't understand. They don't see it. Mm-hmm. They don't have the knowledge. you haven't experienced it. No. I mean, like, everything seems fine. So I think, listen, if, if you think you're doing okay... Uh, maybe you are. That's that's you know. I, I think we're doing okay, mm-hmm. at Redeemer. If I'm honest, I think we're doing okay. But I also recognize that we have to talk about it, and we, we need to talk about it more. Yeah. Even l- l- listen, we're predominantly white church. We need to keep having this conversation, and we need to have it more often because we aren't rubbing shoulders with a ton of African Americans. Just as one example, and therefore we're not getting pressed on the issue. Yeah. So we have to press ourselves. Right. And one of the things that we do at Redeemer is something called pub talk. Mm. And it's, it's run by, I think now it's run by Colson Hauser and he's, he's brought in Travel to that's help right. him run that thing. And this is an open forum discussion that's held at a local pub um, in Geneva where they have these predetermined subjects and all perspectives are welcome, but we, it's led by a Christian. They know it's sponsored by a church, and it ultimately gets to the gospel and to the biblical perspective. And it's, it's a really, really good thing. And their most highly attended, their most robust conversations are when they're dealing with uh, racism and violence and That's prejudice, right. things like that. Yeah. So I, I think we need to do that, keep doing that, and do more of it. I'm, I'm concerned when a church—of course it's uncomfortable talking about it. It's not fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. It's not fun to talk about sin that's in my heart. No. It's not fun to talk about weaknesses in the church. I'm not just angry. I'm embarrassed about what went down at Jonathan's church. Yeah. It's embarrassing, man. I'm a Baptist, and it's like it's hard. Not, you know what? We're a Southern Baptist church up here in uh, Chicagoland. That ain't easy. Mm-mm. All right? It, it, we we got to explain ourselves. Yeah. Yes, we are actually Southern Baptist. You guys don't look Southern Baptist. Well, thank you. Um, I think, but uh, but no, no, it is good. That's but but a very this good is thing. this is this is what we this is what it means to be a Southern Baptist. We're excited to be Southern Baptist. We're not, but something like this is is hard and embarrassing. So let let's let's own our sins mm-hmm. and you know corporately and and be vocal. I don't I don't I don't have a problem saying that there's racism in my denomination. There's racism in every denomination. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem saying that there's prejudice in my own heart. I have a problem with the prejudice that's in my heart, but I don't have a problem saying that it's there. Yeah. And the question is, is you know, can we be honest about it? Can we learn repentance and 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 be meta- metaphorically violent towards that sin? Yeah. And I think I, I think what you're saying is something I, I heard Lecrae say uh, 
say once that conflict can be good, right? Because it, yeah. it, it forces us to deal with it. And he, he likened it like discussion to, to marriage, right? Like you're going you're gonna to have conflict, but it's going to bring about a deeper intimacy because you both have this understanding. We're not going anywhere. Like, you know, we're in, we're in this and we're not giving up. And I think that's, that's good. That's kind of the, I think it's a powerful image that I think we need to have more of when we're talking about race um, and, and unity and, and diversity is we're all in, mm-hmm. we're not leaving, right? Like uh, our, we're not giving up on our brothers and sisters um, and they're not giving up on us. I, th- I think that's beautiful because so many of us, uh, Christians in America in particular tend to view the church as something very temporal. You know, it's like a club. You can join it. You can leave it. You know, this gym is nice, but that gym is cheaper. I'm going to go over there. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, I, I like, like Jim, you like to get pedicures quite a bit. And uh, um, it's a mani-pedi. It's, it's yeah, very different. Okay, so, mani-pedi and a, uh, like the, the stones, you know how they get the warm stones, they put them on your back? Okay. That's, you know what I'm talking about? No, I have, of course not. No, it feels I've great. never in my life gone somewhere to get a back rub. Ever. Well, you have not lived. I have never, You have not lived. I've, that's never happened. I've never had some stranger touch my feet. That does not sound, that sounds weird. It's not, okay, it's weird at first. But you, you, know, can, you know, here's the thing. All right, we know, you know, we're not going to discuss this. No, you got to say it. You're going to make fun of me. No, I, I'm not making fun of you. I wasn't going to I was not. I was not. I was going to make fun of myself. All right, go ahead and make fun of yourself because I know it's going to come back at me. I do not have toenails on my big toes. There is nothing there. Prove it. They just, I, I'm not busting them out Prove right now. Prove it. Ask anybody at Redeemer. Ask anybody I've baptized. My big toes just look like quarters of hot dogs just sitting there. <laughs> no toenails. That's disgusting. I, that, tell me about it. I know it's weird. So what am I going to do? Am I going to? Am I going to go like, hey, can I get a mani pedicure? Well, I don't need the pedicure on the big toes. <laughs> it's going to take you like two seconds. I don't have any. So you so, save money. I, I guess I you get would I save, get a discount. Yeah, you get a discount. Oh, that would only be for, I, only I think for the I toes should. that they take care of. So it's like like a guy like this, like oh, this this place is good, but that place does a better job. Mm-hmm. And we look at church that way. We think like, well, I'm I'm just here. I'm going to go. But when you really value the local church and the body of Christ, then you say like, no, I'm not leaving unless God takes me, yeah, or unless I have to leave because there's you know corrupt sin and there's no repentance or bad doctrine. Um, I think that 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 view that Lecrae was sharing is is right on. It's biblical and beautiful. Like mm-hmm. we are in this together till God, you know, makes us part ways in His providence. So let's let's let the conflict bear the fruit. It's great. Yeah. Guys, uh if we have misspoke or offended in here, please feel free to let us know. Mm-hmm. Um we listen, we we're learners in all of this. We really are. Um so don't f- feel uh feel that you can't push back on some of the things that we've said especially if you are a minority. Yeah. Um, because you know, I just I don't know what I don't know sometimes. I really wish we had uh brought on someone like like Philip Holmes, right? Like someone yeah. like that that um has so much knowledge and wisdom yeah. and grace and mercy and love for for all neighbors, right? Yeah, and passion. Uh, this is the thing. Like I love I love hanging out with with um with my friends who 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 are from from, you know, different cultures and backgrounds because uh, I it, it is an education when we start talking about mm-hmm. these things. You know, a Preston Perry is a friend of ours in Chicago, and um, I just I like to ask questions and listen <laughs> more yeah, than I like exactly. to talk uh, when we have these things because it's it's really helpful. So we would uh, we would love for you guys to give uh, to share your thoughts on this and listen. Be praying for Pastor Jonathan Greer. Yep. Um, you know he's 
He's in a tough spot. His family is afflicted and suffering for righteousness' sake. So uh, pray for them. Uh, pray for his former church. Pray for the association. Pray that uh, justice would be sought and done, that mercy would reign in that area, yeah. and that all of the people would walk humbly with their God. We want to give a big thanks to Justin Bond of J. Bond Media. He uh, is our engineer and editor. He helps us to sound good. And uh, if you're hearing like crickets and locusts mm-hmm. and all kinds of weird stuff in the background, he's not putting that stuff in. It, Jimmy's uh, got a lot of trees around his house. And that's so right. That's, I like uh, to keep separate from everybody. I don't want to love my neighbor. No, man. Well, you don't, you don't have any. That's you, right. Basically Amen. Like a hermit. Yeah. Like Unabomber. Oh, um, no, 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 no. Without the bombing. Yeah. Wait. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. Is that are you saying? Are you making fun of my unibrow? That's what you meant by that. Jen just yesterday <sighs> was telling me I gotta do something about my my hairs growing in here between my eyebrows. You got you gotta go to my salon. I don't go. No, to the no, salon, it's called dude. my salon with t- it, my, my man Tom there. Yeah, I know he, Tom. He waxes it for me. I'm not doing that. You know, why would you? Why would you go to somebody when you could just take your, your clippers and bzz, just nope, buzz it? Because I've done that once and I got it crooked on one side. All right, man. I just don't even care. I'm just saying, I'll take you over by Tom. I'm not. You but you you paying? Yeah, Tom takes I, care I of it. I still wouldn't do it. Why not? Tom's good. Uh, Jimmy, if they want to um, leave us uh, a review at iTunes, that's a good thing, right? Oh, that's a great thing. Please head head on over to iTunes. You can search for Doctrine and Devotion uh, podcast. Leave a review. Give us your honest feedback on what you're thinking. Usually, that's probably going to be five stars. Um, and yeah, let us know. Let us know your thoughts there. Also, you can head on over to DoctrineDevotion.com, click on the Contact Us page, and from there you can uh, fill out the form, give us your feedback, your podcast ideas, your suggestions, your critiques. Uh, I want you to know we, we do take those very seriously, yeah. uh, and we've really been appreciating uh, all the feedback that we've gotten. We're, I think we're humbled and, and amazed that this little podcast um, is actually – encouraging people and i think that yeah. that's what we wanted the whole time was right. that we'd be an encouragement as we are just sitting out here uh, processing out loud yeah. our thoughts yeah uh, it's it, i mean it's a ridiculous amount of emails that we're getting and yeah. it's 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 pretty awesome and um listen we would love for you to follow us on twitter instagram you can find us on facebook uh doctrine and devotion um, but also we're uh, we're working on some some exclusive content that's going to be helpful for people in the future. So uh, go to our website and go to the uh, subscribe page and just join our email list. We are working on some, some projects. Don't, don't, don't tell them what it, okay. Don't tell them what we're not, it's not time to release that yet. Okay. It's, but it's, it manscaping might be a part of it. That is not a part of it. That is not, (laughs) you would like that. You buy that resource. Well, Well, no, I don't need to. I got Tom. Okay. Tom is your manscaper. That's so gross. Um, also, tell a friend. If this is fun, if this is good for you, then share the love on social media, like Jimmy likes to say. Sharing is caring. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thanks for listening every Monday and Thursday. We're dropping new episodes. We appreciate your time. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Later. Later.